Hi, I'm Alicia. And I'm Kayla. And you're listening to True Crime Exposed. Where me and my mom will bring you a new case discussion every week. We also advocate for victims through interviews with family, experts, survivors, and more. everyone today we are diving into our first cult i think it's the first one we've covered on the podcast i don't know why and this one i had never heard of so i'm hoping you're gonna learn a thing or two today as well with that are you ready for today's case Sandy Cleaver and Chuck Cleaver are at the ropes and in their marriage. Things had been on the rocks for a while now, but things recently crossed the line for Chuck and he was done. So recently, Chuck discovered that Sandy had been giving their six-year-old daughter, Susan Devereaux Cleaver, prescription pills sent to her from a homeopathic doctor out of Mexico that would diagnose people remotely. Oh, what do you mean by prescription pills? So they're coming in these prescription pill bottles... But they're from a homeopathic doctor out of Mexico. So all he knows is they're in a little prescription pill bottle and it's worrying him. So it's not pain pills. He doesn't know because there's no label on them and that's what's freaking him out. But if you think about it, I'm sure a homeopathic doctor cannot prescribe. Like, do you have to go to med school for that? I don't think so. I always get confused. Yeah. Like if it's just a title they have, doctor, like homeopathic doctor. I don't know. Let us know if you are one. (laughs) But this doctor's out of Mexico. He's sending these things. They're just like in these prescription pill things. And this doctor would diagnose people remotely, meaning he could diagnose people from all over the world without seeing them in person. And he did this through what he described as reading their cosmic airwaves. (laughs) That sounds weird, first of all. But, I mean, it got big in COVID, like telemedicine. So you could see people, people like, you know, online and see what their symptoms were and diagnose them and stuff. But what is your cosmic airway? I'm not into that stuff. Yeah, well, I think, like, today with the COVID and, like, doing, like, doctor online visits and stuff, we have, like, technology. This is, like, back, like, 60s to 80s. So this is like the 60s to the 80s. And so obviously they are not, they're not on the internet like FaceTiming. Well, I thought it was recent. (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. So he's literally not on FaceTime or anything. He's just reading their cosmic airwaves, whatever that may mean. The sound of their voice. Um, I think he's basically scamming them. But he's like kind of saying like this is all this all kind of ends up coming into like metaphysical stuff and where a lot of like the bases like everyone's kind of just like into like the natural nature all that stuff. So this is a doctor claiming that he can diagnose people through cosmic airwaves. So kind of like you and Carly and like your horoscope. (laughs) And that's of school. I like it. But I would never believe someone could tell me I have cancer through cosmic airwaves. (laughs) So uh, anyway, 
Chuck knew that Sandy was taking these shipped pills far too often herself. She had cabinets filled to the brim with these bottles that were shipped to her via Greyhound bus from Mexico. Chuck witnessed Sandy taking about 20 different prescriptions a day, and while he was worried about her, she was an adult, so she, he couldn't stop her from seeing this doctor. But once she roped their daughter into it, he was like, nope, this is not happening. So he grabs a bunch of the pill bottles out of the cabinets and he takes them to his medical doctor there where they lived in Dallas, Texas. And he was like, okay, I need you to test these medications. Some homeopathic doctor out of Mexico is prescribing these to my family and shipping them to us. It seems super dangerous. The doctor was obviously concerned. He found this to be really weird and he definitely didn't want a six-year-old being pumped full of prescriptions that could potentially harm her. So he agrees and he tests the medication only to find out that these are placebo drugs, basically a combination of starch and sugar, pills that are super cheap to obtain because they're fake. So clearly this doctor out of Mexico is scamming people like Sandy, sending them pl placebo drugs. No wonder he like is not worried about her taking 20 per day. And Chuck sighs this breath full of relief, but the doctor says to him, it's not what's in the pills that you need to be concerned about. What you need to be concerned about is a young, impressionable girl and the psychological implication that first, there is something seriously wrong with her, and second, that you should solve it by popping pills. So he's talking about the wife? I think he's talking about the wife to the daughter because the wife's starting to have the daughter take all these pills. So I think the doctor's saying, like, stop having her tell you your daughter something's wrong with her via this doctor saying like reading the six-year-old's cosmic airwaves and saying she has all these problems and then teaching her that she needs to take all these medications for it so and that freaked chuck out and his feelings are solidified when he comes home from work one night to find sandy leading susan out the front door of their home Sandy has suitcases packed and she's like, oh, hey, like we're just going to head over to San Diego. I've got two plane tickets for me and Susan because there's a homeopathic doctor there who has this really cool machine and he agreed to put Susan into it. It will tune out all of the bad vibrations from the world and it will be a really magical experience. I wonder what she thought was wrong with her six year old. I think she's just listening to all these people around her. As we'll see, like one of her close friends keeps telling her her daughter's sick. These homeopathic doctors are obviously trying to scam her. I'm sure she's paying for them to prescribe all these things. So, of course, they're like, oh, yeah, this stuff's wrong. And then they're sending over these medications that she's really paying them for. So, really, I think she's just being manipulated by everyone and, like, convinced that her daughter needs these. Obviously, Chuck's just staring at her like okay, excuse me, there is 0% chance you are taking our daughter to go do this machine. And they start arguing about it, but Chuck holds his ground. He's not letting this happen. He doesn't think Sandy wants to intentionally harm Susan. He just thinks she's been getting caught up with the wrong group, leading her to believe that traditional doctors were a bunch of dummies who didn't have the answers to helping their daughter, while the homeopathic doctors had the answers. And like, okay, not all medical doctors are trustworthy. Like we've all listened to Dr. Death and not all homeopathic doctors are scammers. Like I think there's benefits to different ways, what people like to do. Like some people do like homeopathic and like natural stuff. Some people do like more of the medical side. We obviously, I feel like are a pretty medical family because everybody works in the medical field. Yes, 
but I think we also like to try to stay healthy and we I'm like you know I don't take any medicines it's not like we're taking a bunch of medicine there's certain natural things you like to do and then there's certain times you do need a medical professional who like went to school and can truly diagnose you yeah Sandy's just being clearly scammed by the homeopathic doctor in Mexico and that was freaking Chuck out so he was on edge about this whole thing and everything that came into it all the homeopathic stuff and while he's fighting Sandy to cancel her trip to San Diego for this machine treatment he thought back to another argument they recently had that was almost the exact same except during that fight Sandy was the one telling Chuck that he could not take Susan out of their home into a pediatrician The couple had woke up one night to a sick little Susan. She was having night sweats and a fever that had skyrocketed. She looked super pale, and Chuck thought she needed to be rushed to a doctor right away. At that time, Sandy stood her ground. Instead, she treated Susan with meditation, incarnations, and incense. Chuck laid awake, worried all night, and by 5 a.m., he decided enough was enough. So he scoops up little Susan and sneaks her out of the home while Sandy was asleep. Now, the pediatrician's office was, of course, not open at 5 a.m., but Chuck had to make this break for it while Sandy was sleeping. Now he's driving in the car around Dallas for a couple hours just waiting to get a hold of their doctor. Eventually, he's able to reach the doctor through an emergency line, waking him up and begging him to see Susan. It turns out that Susan had scarlet fever, which is basically where you get like a bright red rash all over your body and a sore throat accompanied by a high fever. I read that it's a bacterial illness and that it used to be pretty severe. Now, like in kids would usually get it five to 15. And now we have antibiotics that can treat it. But I guess before treatment was created for scarlet fever, it could be a sickness that extended for a really long time. And then it usually was accompanied by dangerous complications, often like resulting in death. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I think it usually, like, it could affect your heart when you got older. Yeah, so obviously Chuck finds this out that she has scarlet fever and they waited all night and he's pissed. And all of this is just tying into the reasons he knew the marriage was going to end. But he's sticking it out for now, just to stay around and protect his daughter. At one point, Sandy had told Chuck that Susan would be better off in heaven and he didn't trust the path Sandy was on. Sandy sounds like she has a mental illness. Well, and you'll also see she's getting caught up in a group that's really, really making her think these things. But it gives me a lot of like Lori and Chad Daybell vibes. And I think you'll see like some random similarities. So yes, I do think Sandy is definitely struggling. And I I would agree she probably does have some mental illness. So Sandy and Chuck, they had met years earlier while at DePaul University, which is a private religious school in Greencastle, Indiana. Chuck was there playing as the basketball team's center, and Sandy had noticed him in the the second she laid eyes on him. By 1960, they were married as soon as they finished college, and they made the move out to Dallas, Texas, moving into a home on 4434 Manning Lane. It was four years into their marriage that Susan was born in 1964, and they had named her after Sandy's sister, who had tragically died in a car accident at 17 years old. Through this time, they had been living on Sandy's money while Chuck worked his way up to a job position that he was happy with. 
Sandy had a skip generation trust, money she was inheriting from her family in Alabama. And that trust made her the perfect target for Terry Lee Benson Wilder Cooley Johnson Hoffman. And that is a name, all of those names. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I'll say it again. Terry Lee Benson Wilder Cooley Johnson Hoffman. Okay, seven names. <laughs> yeah, so her original name is Terry Lee Benson, and then she gets married four different times, as we'll see. So I'm not sure if she just decided to keep each name as she went. Like, she got married, kept that name, got married, kept that name, and she has seven seven names in her name. <laughs> uh no, no, not good. And she's not a good person. So Terry and Sandy had become quick friends who got super close. And Terry was this big reason for the contention in Sandy and Chuck's marriage. But Sandy didn't see it. This was her bestie. Chuck was being ridiculous. The girls had so much in common. Both of them had suffered trauma surrounding their mothers. Terry's mom had died of tuberculosis when Terry was young, and Sandy's mom was sent off to a mental hospital in 1951 when Sandy was 12. Not only that, but both of them also had a sister who died. Like I said earlier, Sandy's was taken by a tragic car accident, and Terry's sister had been stillborn. These traumas bonded the two women together. And as the two became friends, Terry was helping Sandy become more spiritually enlightened. Well, that's what Terry told Sandy. The two were attending meditation together. They became vegetarians. They worked with Jules to learn the healing properties in each one. And they were seeing homeopathic doctors. This is how Sandy gets tied up in all of that. None of this stuff is bad. It's all awesome. It's not everyone's thing. Like, it's definitely not yours. I like the star signs. I like some natural stuff. Cool, you're doing things for you that like are making you feel good great but this story just gets a little crazy and it's not doing these things that makes these people like dangerous or strange but what makes terry dangerous is her manipulation and all of that like metaphysical homeopathic stuff that's really just her front to lure people into her cult which is a church she called conscious development <laughs> sorry we are we are in person and I'm getting the giggles. <laughs> <laughs> we're also sharing a microphone because a cord got ruined and we're both laying on the ground on our stomachs trying to share this microphone. So I don't necessarily think like all that stuff is weird. It's like fine, but it's just kind of like if you go overboard. And obviously this is way over the top because this turns into a cult and cults they make people who are looking from the outside in a little uncomfortable for good reason especially if it's a dangerous cult so sandy cleaver was just one of the first to get tied up into terry's web and she becomes terry's right hand chuck had seen terry's tactics from early on and he worried that she was a scammer i mean he was right but sandy just could not see it terry was charismatic and loved Sandy told Chuck he was being ridiculous and she got all the good vibes from Terry. Did he know that one of Terry's new friends she could see spiritually was St. Teresa? Did he know that Sandy could diagnose illness and cure cancer? Did he know that... I can't handle it. <laughs> this is what Terry's saying. But did she really believe... Did Sandy really believe that? 
Sandy was like full on believing her. Yes. Like Sandy really gets roped in. But Terry, obvious. I'm sure Terry knows that she's just making up a bunch of BS. Yeah, she can't cure cancer. She definitely can't. Did he know that Terry can put a protective shield around their daughter, Susan, that promised to save the young girl from everything? Everything except for Chuck, because Terry told Sandy she couldn't protect Susan from Chuck's bad vibes because his negativity was too powerful. (laughs) She's obviously manipulating Sandy. Like, and that's the thing, too, with cults is that they do purposely prey on people who are easily manipulated. Like someone looking for like a place to fit in, needing more out of their lives. And so Terry saw that in Sandy and then is clearly manipulating her. And then, of course, feeding her bad stuff about her husband. He's negative. So Chuck sees Sandy write out a $3,000 check for Terry and he was furious, but he couldn't stop it. Sandy was like, listen, Terry is turning wine back into grape juice tonight. You don't understand. And he just rolls his eyes and he keeps his thoughts to himself, just like he had when Sandy told him that she was a high priestess of Atlantis in a former life. And Terry told her so. By April 22nd, 1971, Sandy told Chuck that he was impeding her spiritual growth. It was time to get divorced. There was a bitter battle between the two for custody of Susan. It was ugly. I'm sure you can imagine how it went. Sandy telling her side to the court and everyone who would hear her out and Chuck telling his side. Ultimately, though, Chuck's lawyers advised him to settle with Sandy for visitation. And he agreed as long as it was agreed that Sandy could no longer take Susan to the homeopathic doctors. And specifically, she could not get Terry involved in Susan's medical history at all anymore. Susan had to be taken to a recognized physician admitted to practice in Texas. So Susan agrees to this. And with that, Chuck gets visitation rights with his daughter, a Mercedes, and his personal property. Sandy's bestie, Terry, had filed for divorce just one year before Sandy did. It was in December of 1970 that Terry had asked her husband at that time, John Wilder, for a divorce. Are they lovers? No, actually, they're not. (laughs) Maybe, but it's not reported that they are. (laughs) But, you know, like, sometimes that does happen. If your friend's getting divorced and you're, like, sort of unhappy, I've seen that happen where it's, like, they start hanging out with their single friend a lot and then they want to get divorced, too. Yeah, and it sounds like they got divorced around the same time. They did get divorced within a year, but I think it's just because Sandy and Terry are getting closer and obviously that's what Terry wants. Remember, I said Sandy has a big trust fund. So Terry wants to be close with Sandy. Sandy just thinks she's hanging with her bestie. (laughs) And when Terry had told John Wilder she wanted a divorce, she told him that he was impeding her spiritual growth. Ironic that it's the same thing Sandy tells Chuck one year later. So Terry, she wasn't as lucky as Sandy, though. She didn't get custody of her two youngest children. On March 23rd, 1971, the decree was handed down, which awarded Terry custody of her teenage daughter, a Mustang, and some stocks, along with a shotgun, a rifle, and a pistol. But now her ex-husband, John Wilder, had custody of her two youngest children, and he was also awarded the home, the furniture, and the family's bank accounts. This happened because after Terry filed for divorce, she was taken to Parkland Hospital for a psychiatric evaluation 
from there, she was committed. And although she came out telling everyone, I'm fine. The doctors said I was fine. They said nothing's wrong. Clearly, this evaluation played into the divorce and is part of the reason Terry loses custody of her two youngest children. I was wondering why she didn't get custody. Yeah. And she went into this psych evaluation right before. So who is Terry? Where did she come from? And what is this church she runs? The Conscious Development. Terry was born in 1938, and she grew up in a family that didn't have much money. They were struggling to get by. Her dad was an alcoholic that was uninvolved, and by age nine, Terry's mom died of tuberculosis. This landed her a spot in the Lutheran orphanage. She didn't have anyone, and that had to have been traumatizing. Her life up to this point hadn't been great, but now she was just one child among many in the orphanage who weren't being adopted or brought into families of their own. Terry dealt with this trauma through what she claims was having visions. Here's where I get the Chad Daybell vibes. She says that her first vision happened when she was only four years old. Three men in robes had come to her and told her that she can be whatever she wants to be in this world. And when she's upset, all she has to do is think of God. Before they go on their merry way, the men tell her that they couldn't be seen by anyone else. They're spiritual and she is special. When she goes into the orphanage at age nine, she says that her visions start up again. It's also there in the orphanage that she meets a Lutheran nun. These two spent a lot of time together and the nun taught her all about the metaphysical world, which was a little untraditional for a Lutheran nun at that time, but Terry was into it. This is where she learned about meditation, reincarnation, and so much more. Terry was close with this nun because it felt like her only friend. The other kids were always picking on her and being mean, but she knew she was special. She was just waiting for one family to notice how special of a child she was and adopt her. I mean, how could everyone else not see how special she was? Didn't she realize, didn't they realize that she was the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Avila? In a former life, she was famous in the Roman Catholic Church. So I wonder if she made this up by herself or like the nun helped her think of that. Because she is really young. So I don't know if she's being told that you could be reincarnated, which a lot of people believe in that for real. But I don't think you just like, I don't know how it works. Actually, I've never looked into it, but I assume you don't just like choose who you were reincarnated from. Like, oh, I was that person. I don't know. Terry would just have to wait two years before being adopted by a couple who had lost their own daughter. And they were drawn to Terry because her mom had died from tuberculosis. And that's what took their daughter from them as well. So they changed Terry's name to fit into their family, and she became Terry Lee Benson. She appreciated the family at first, but as she became a teenager, she was sick of the roles, and she was ready to leave. That's when Terry met who would become her first husband, John Wilder. He was a truck driver at this time, an 18-year-old high school dropout. Terry's adoptive mom hated him. He wasn't good enough for Terry. She could do better. But we all know teenagers and they know best. Like they have all the answers. So Terry was having none of it. She ran off with John and they married on May 2nd, 1953 in Oklahoma. Terry had just turned 15 years old a couple months before this marriage. So apparently the spot in Oklahoma 
they were able to get legally married. That's why they went to Oklahoma because they lived in Dallas, Texas. And it said that that was the closest place that would allow their marriage. So he's 18. She's barely 15. Wow, that's really young. Yeah. So the couple had three kids, a daughter, a son, and then another daughter. And by 1954, Terry is starting to go to meetings with friends where they would all meditate and they talk about the metaphysical world, like the universe, nature, and what the meaning of their existence was. At first, John embraced his wife's new hobby. He even bought her books that she could dive into, like a book on hypnotism. Soon, Terry is not just meeting with friends, but she's starting to lead them through these meetings. She's running things now. Terry comes up with this group, Conscious Development. Terry was blending the metaphysical and like hippie ideologies with God and religion. She loved what hippies stood for, but wanted to preach those things without the drug use. So her church was this combination of metaphysical and religion, because she grew up in the Lutheran church. Now she's preaching perspective, teaching people about the different signs, about rebirth and karma. If someone lived a good life, then they would be able to choose the body and environment in which they would be reincarnated. But those who lived a bad life, well, they were paying the ultimate price. She said, quote, We can be sure the people who have been killed in volcanic eruptions and dire catastrophes have deserved these violent deaths and that they have been reborn in those places to fulfill their destiny. They reaped as they sowed in past lives, end quote. Which is like, was like a really morbid way to look at death of people who are in catastrophes. Like you're in a volcanic eruption and you die. And she's like, they deserved it. They must have been really crappy in their past life. Yeah, that's, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Strange. Soon, Terry is charging money for her meditation and healing sessions. She's selling jewelry that she claims has healing properties. She's basically starting to profit off of her followers. This often happens in a cult when they want more money than what seems normal, like more than the regular 10% that a church normally asks for. They start selling their member services. This often happens in a cult when they want more money than what seems normal, like more than the regular 10% that a church normally asks for. They start selling their member services. So, and they do this because they don't, like, no church or cult wants to be like, hey, you have to, like, donate, like, 90% of your check. But they can talk people into it by being like, I'm going to sell you this service or I'm going to sell you this product because then the members feel like they're purchasing a good and not just donating their money. So like Scientology, they charge for different things. I know they charge people to get in. There's like different books and tiers, but they charge $800 for a therapy session. On average in the United States, a therapy session is anywhere from like $60 to $200 a session. They're overcharging usually. So those are just like some telltale signs. So you think Scientology is a cult? I do. Oh, remember when we talked about it in like Michael Darnell Bell Jr.'s case, we talked about it a little bit and it just seems sketch. But maybe I don't know because a lot of people think the LDS church is a cult and you're in it and it's not. So maybe Scientology isn't. I don't know. To me, when it starts becoming a cult in my eyes is when it starts getting dangerous. Like just being a part of the church is dangerous. And maybe that's not how it is. Maybe it's misreported because people are so 
obsessed with it because I mean Scientology has never been taken down and a lot of cults get taken down so who knows that's just me being judgy I guess I don't think it could be a cult because Tom Cruise is in it (laughs) I know there's a lot of famous people in it so literally maybe it's just I don't know I don't know but this conscious development it's definitely a cult (laughs) so students of terry's would bring meditation mats to be led in meditation and hypnosis by terry she claimed that while leading them through this she would take them on tours of all the temples in heaven in like the spiritual realm there'd be these temples and she'd take them through and like people would be like oh like i see this like i can feel this and she's like yep yep you're seeing it She'd always agree with whatever they had to say about the temple. So Terry let her followers know that she had knowledge of their past and future lives and the lives of their loved ones. I can check your records from all of your lives and see if you're actually with your soulmate. So she most often told people they had found their true love, but there were people she left brokenhearted when she checked their past and future life records only to to discover that they weren't supposed to be together. One former follower said, we took that very seriously. We would sit around and talk about it. Well, we love each other, but we're not soulmates. That's just messed up. (laughs) You know, she's just kind of playing God, acting to her members like she is the end all be all. People were enthralled with Terry. She could do things that none of them could. They listened intently to stories of how she levitated in her, levitated herself above her bed and her husband woke up to find her and he just didn't know what to do. Not only could she do cool things for herself, but she was a healer. Like I said, she said she could heal cancer, but if you were sick or just had any, like anything you needed help with, a dislocated thumb one guy needed help with, Terry could fix you through meditation. She could protect people from harm. If they believed in her, she could save their lives. One young high school student was told that his girlfriend was due to die in a car accident soon. And there was only one way they could save his girlfriend. And that was to have an emergency meditation session. So he, of course, does it. And he probably paid for that. But no worries, because now his girlfriend was safe. Oh my gosh. Uh, I know. It's bad. But again, they're just preying on people they know they can manipulate. I'm sure once people are out of it and looking back, they're like, that lady was crazy. Did you watch that Netflix show with Warren Jeffs? How do they stay in that situation? How do they, why do they stay in that cult? I mean, with the Warren Jeffs stuff, a lot of them are born into it because that like went on for years Technically, I even think it's, I was going to say, technically, I think it's still a thing. Don't they, like, still think he's their prophet from jail as a pedophile? It's disgusting. But, yeah, these people, I think, are, and people were, like, throughout the time, people do leave Terry's church. Like, people see through it, but then other people don't. So, obviously, the people who are, like, really vulnerable are sticking around. Now, regardless of like the come and go, she did grow pretty big for a small cult being pushed by only her and whoever her hubby was at the time. She had about 150 people or so attending meetings regularly every week. But even her husband, John Wilder, he was getting sick of her antics. He could see that she was scamming people, making them pay for these meditations, love offerings, and private consultations. 
And we know that marriage didn't work out because they divorced soon with her bestie Sandy Cleaver also leaving her husband Chuck that following year. Sandy was so far under Terry's spell that she bought her this expensive diamond necklace. Terry takes it home, but the next day she brings it back to Sandy and she's like, I'm sorry, but I've got to give this back to you because it's actually fake. Like the diamonds in it are not real. Now, Sandy is pissed, but not at Terry because she doesn't take a moment to consider that Terry probably took the diamonds out herself to then have them replaced with fake ones and then return it to Sandy ask her to like go get a new necklace or get a refund and you know like give her something else but sandy instead is pissed at the jeweler and she sues him claiming that he sold her a bracelet with fake diamonds on purpose now after both women are divorced terry soon marries her second husband glenn cooley he was about 13 years younger than her and a student at North Texas State University, and he was a big follower of her church. So there was a really like uneven power dynamic in this relationship because he was really looking up to her. He she helped him get off drugs and like he was almost like idolizing her and they get married. Anyway, Sandy, while she's awaiting her divorce to be finalized, she decides to gift Terry and her new hubby, Glenn, a paid honeymoon to Hawaii. But she was also going with them and she was bringing her daughter, regardless of the fact that the court has ordered Susan not to be taken out of the state. But, you know, they don't need to follow the rules. And so they all go to Hawaii for their honeymoon, paid for by Sandy. And soon things start to get weird. I mean, they're already strange, but now Terry is like, look, guys, we have actually been called by the spiritual members to do more than just study and serve. Now we're on a mission. There are evil forces in this world. And while conscious development was on the positive side of vibes, they were getting negative vibes around them called the Black Lords. These demons could only be fought in the spiritual realm, and they were affecting the world. Terry chose 40 special members of the church to join what she called the teacher's group. And these were the members worth, worthy of the task to fight the dark lords. It's going to be super dangerous, but I'll protect you. I'll guide you the whole way through, she says. The teacher's meetings ended up being battles against the dark lords. They were scheduled every week. On schedule, they'd go into these battles with the dark lords. Everyone would come. Each teacher had a cloth mat that was circle and contained a triangle and they would circle up around each other and it's there that they would fight the dark lords. This was their circle of protection and they did a ritual before each battle. The teachers would also bring cups, robes, fans, a sword and a robe. Swords could be small because they would grow in the spiritual realm so it was fine if people used simple cocktail toothpicks as their swords. Each the object represents different things, their shields, their totems, and different archangels. These weapons would be used to kill the Dark Lords. Throughout their fight, they would have to bring the rod back to their shoulder. They'd do all these like moves, they'd swing their stuff around, and then they'd bring their rod to their shoulder because that was like the power source from their body. And Terry would guide them through the battles because she could see in the spiritual realm. So she's telling them what to do and she'd let them know when they killed a black lord. Oftentimes during their battles, they would think of the dark lords as actual people. 
maybe former members of the church or someone who had pissed them off. At one point, the group decides they were fighting the conduit of a member's daughter, Susan Devereaux Cleaver, Sandy's daughter, who Terry was now saying was sick. She was a negative force in this world. More Chad Devo vibes, right? Because someone's telling someone that their daughter is evil. Now things are getting strange, but soon they get much worse. Multiple people around the Conscious Development Organization just happen to start, start dropping like flies. And somehow they all leave wills for Terry to take over their assets. And that's where we'll end part one. That's insane. I know I had never heard of this. We obviously just scratched the surface of what it all was. And now with part two, we'll get into what I would consider all the murders. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I research, write, host, and edit all these episodes. My mom, Alicia Jenkins, is our co-host, and my daughter, Charlie Waters, is our palate cleanser giver. Our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. Please check us out on all social media platforms and give us a like and a follow and share our posts and make sure to share our podcast with, you know, like 10 of your friends. Let them know that it's your fave and that they should definitely be listening. Hi, I'm Charlie Waters and today I'm going to be talking about Mexico because I'm flying there in the morning. I'm going to Cabo with my family and not just my family. It's my family with my grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles. And did you know in Cabo you can well watch? Did you know that they see 5,000 whales migrate and even up to 10,000 sometimes? The most common sight in whales there are grays and the hopping packs. But sometimes there's blue, sperm, fin, pilot, and orga. They normally see wells to December to April, but it's July right now, but hopefully I see one. Bye. Hope you have a great night. If you visit daretodoubt.org, you're going to find this organization that helps you detach from harmful belief systems. On their page, they say, we use the word cult knowing it might be more PC to say new religious movement. The problem is that all religions were once new and not every cult is religious. For simplicity and the purposes of this page, Dare to Doubt defines cult as any destructive group. How do you determine if a group is destructive? We encourage you to compare your group to the bite model of control established by leading cult expert Stephen Hassan, founder of Freedom of Mind Resource Center. Bite stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. Does your group meet any of the following criteria? So you can go to their organization and you can read all about that. You can take the quiz and you can learn about mental health, their crisis care. They have an LGBTQ plus little tab on their website, a blog. You can learn about what they do and you can get involved. So I highly encourage you to visit daretodoubt.org.